Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. Jordan is on best. Harper's on middle. They play together, they believe. Um, if there's Levert, it's cold. Levert, back in. Speed. Welcome to another edition of the Indy Cornrows Podcast. Uh, this episode is an episode of Pacers After Dark. Uh, we're coming at you after a, a pretty rough loss uh, to the Philadelphia 76ers, um, 119 to 110. Joined by Tom Lewis and Caitlin Cooper. Uh, Caitlin, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. I've survived the winter storm and have my internet up and running. I was hoping to be here on better terms. I, it's my first <laughs> appearance on Pacers After Dark, and I was just hoping that it was going to be a little bit more upbeat than what I'm assuming the tone is going to be. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. Uh, part of the reason I wanted to make sure you were on today, because your your piece that you wrote this morning was A, fantastic, uh, and B, we saw some of that play out today. Um, but Tom, how are you doing? I'm not bad. I'm a little uh, got whiplash with the way that ter- game turned around there at the end, but uh, uh, yeah, it is what it is, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no definitely. JWB in that. Yeah, well, I mean, since we're it's, it's going to be a I mean, Pacers after dark is going to be a little bit dark tonight. Um, <laughs> the first thing that I do want to hit on uh, this is just coming from my personal opinion, so uh, you take it for as you will. Uh, obviously, loss of Saquy Smith sucks. Uh, very difficult. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not somebody who, like, I only talked to him once. Um, but it's just a little bit it, – it, it bothers me a little bit that the, the Pacers made a big tribute to him and they're having multiple thousands of fans uh, in the arena tonight uh, during COVID, which is what Saquon Smith died of. Uh, so I, just to me, I, I have a little bit of a problem with that. Um, I, it's, it's a little bit perplexing to me just kind of how things have, have played out over the last couple months. But um, – Alas, there's nothing that I can do about that, but I just feel uh, almost wrong not saying something about that because it's uh, it feels a little bit half-hearted. But um, I don't know if you two feel similarly on that, but it's uh, it's a little bit a little bit questioning. Um, yeah, my main takeaway was last week when they announced that they were going to increase the fan attendance. The way they worded it is is that we're confident based on how this has gone that we can handle having more fans, which I clicked the link reading it, thinking there might be some evidence as to why, like, I didn't know. I thought maybe they were like tracking if people had tested positive after being there and there really wasn't that type of information. It seemed more like they were like, well, we think that we can keep people spaced out and, and based on concession stand and whatever else, like people aren't coming into contact. So we think we can open up the other uh, upper balcony or whatever it is and, and get more people in, but you know, I don't know. I have a lot of questions about it. I don't see how they could be confident that they could have more fans when there wouldn't have even been opportunity for the fans that were there to have tested. I mean, the CDC recommends that you wait about five days after exposure to even get tested. And that tweet came out like four days after a home game. 
So that feels like a little bit of mixed messaging to me. I mean, I, I don't know in total what all they're doing. Maybe they are having those types of interactions with people, but I feel like it would be better if they were a little bit more transparent with it if they are. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with that, Tom. Do you have any thoughts on that? Um, yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I know a lot of what they've been going through. I mean, I know they're, they're not, um, you know, putting in as many people as they could according to the law. Um, they've been just doing it um, in certain amounts of people um, and, and using the pods to space out everybody. Um, and I'm not 100% sure on the on the testing or the um, the screening. I, I, I think there may be screening they're doing uh, people before they come in. Um, uh, but I actually, I can check on that. Um, but um, I know the the other thing is, I mean, you know, there's so few people. It um, in, in the upper deck at least there was, you know, really there were people in about maybe the first ten rows of the upper deck, and then you know, I feel like people wouldn't want to buy a ticket <laughs> at the top of the upper deck, socially distanced. Um, it's just not a good seat, you know, um, for one, and then um, so. While there, there are people up there, I mean, they're definitely they're definitely spaced out quite a bit. There's, there's a lot of a lot of room, so um, it it just goes to you know if they're going to have anybody in there at all, and that is you know I think the biggest one of the bigger issues they have also is like food and you know because that's the only opportunity people have really to take a mask off. Um, so should they? You know, like in a restaurant when you go and sit at a table, people are taking their masks off to eat. Um, but, you know, they're having people, you can only eat in your seat, but then only have your mask off if you're eating something, like literally at the, at the moment. So um, I know that's been a big stress on them trying to, um, you know, monitor that. And there's also, you know, maybe, maybe they shut down the food, you know, is it, is it even worth it? And I know it. I know you know really having people there and having all of the money. Um, yeah. amenities available. It isn't. It isn't really a money thing. That's what I was going to say. I mean, oh. they're literally trying to open it up for people to just have that experience because it, it almost isn't even worth it to open up the upper deck um, for you know the people that have to employ to, to go in there to make it run and the and the few amount of people that they're actually letting in. So it is an interesting dynamic really um for you know all the decisions they have that they're going through and i know that, that um uh you know if, if they just shut everybody out then that would be easier probably on everybody but um i, I think there's you know that with the numbers in, in india at least I've been going in the right direction, and I know that they they haven't gotten you know to where they even want to think about doing the 25% fans yet. Um, but it, you know, I, that's just kind of the, the stuff I know. I'm just you know from from hearing people talk about. It. So mm -hmm. um, I don't want to <laughs> excuse me. Um, 
I'm just, I guess I'm just kind of sharing that. I know, I know there's people who would prefer that, you know, no one did anything and, and I understand that. Um, I don't really want to say that because I'm the hypocrite because I'm going as, uh, on a media pass and, you know, I'm sitting, sitting alone and, you know, staying in my yellow section. And, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, they have really good protocols in place. Um, and I'm doing my screening before and, and everything. So, um, and it, there haven't been any issues, obviously. So um, that, that's just kind of where the NBA is right now with, with these different, you know, it's all local rules and local um, laws that they're trying to go by. So um, it is, is a, yeah. It's murky. Uh, yeah. I, time. yeah. So. No, it, it, it's definitely murky. Um, yeah. It's, it's hard to kind of parse through it, but um, speaking of things that we can parse through that are also murky, we got to look at the game tonight. Uh, I just wanted to talk on that for a minute first. Um, this game was bad. Uh, <laughs> I think I just have to be blunt and, and say this was probably the worst loss of the season. I, for some idiotic reason, thought it was the Clippers' loss. About two minutes left in the game, I said that the Clippers' loss was the worst loss of the season still. And then we had 20 seconds left in the game. I was like, what on earth was I thinking? This is this was obviously terrible. Um, I I normally like leading off negative pods, talking about the posit- positive things. But, uh, I mean, I just think we have to dive into it right now. Uh, Nate Bjorkren talked about in the postgame presser, um, how he he was happy with some of the looks they were getting, but shots just weren't falling. Uh, and I, I I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. Um, I mean, obviously the shots weren't falling. That's pretty clear in that fourth quarter. They were outscored 35 to 15 in the fourth quarter. Um, Caitlin, I just want to shift over to you for a second. What Because, I mean, we were kind of having some of the same lines of thinking. Uh, on Twitter, uh, what were your thoughts on the fourth quarter offense and just kind of the lineups that were run to close out? Well, first of all, let's just fast forward and not even make it the fourth quarter. Let's just yeah. make it the last eight minutes and 16 seconds because they scored, I believe, eight points over that last eight minutes. So I do agree with Bjorken to an extent. I mean, Justin had an open three that yeah. he missed. Brogdon sliced into the middle of the paint out against the zone and missed a floater. He was making those in the first half. So those two, yeah. I think that Brogdon was being a little too deliberate, I guess is how I would mm-hmm. word it against the zone a couple times. I mean, Miles and Sabonis were screening it and he wasn't using the screens on some of them and instead was just like using a reversal, but they weren't getting the ball into those gaps. But more than anything, down late late in the stretch, I don't really understand why TJ McConnell was playing, yes. if I'm being honest. I, I don't understand that lineup decision because – not that TJ didn't have a good game. He played well for most of it. But once Philadelphia went into that zone and it was completely locking up the Pacers, which also to back up onto this point is that the zone offense against the Raptors in the second game was not good either. Yeah. The only reason that they were scoring was because Jeremy Lamb was creating out of nothing and they were getting to the line after Bjorkren exploded and had his intentional technical. But they were. I mean, I looked at the stats on Synergy after that game, and I think that they only scored on like three of 11 zone possessions in the third quarter against the Raptors, which it had to be pretty close to that, but Synergy hasn't tracked it yet in this game. But in TJ's case, there's occasions against zone where 
if he's really zooming up the floor, then maybe some of the times the best way to bust a zone is just with pace, but they weren't really mm-hmm. getting that Philadelphia was getting back. So I don't really know why the decision there wasn't to go with Aaron or Jeremy. Aaron had one of his best games of the season. He had a couple miscues right before he came out, but once they knew they weren't getting shots to go, why not go with a guy who had a game high or a season high 17 points? Well, like, I, I didn't really understand sticking with him. Exactly. Defensively, it wasn't working either. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That that was kind of what I was thinking as well. Um, it was really perplexing to me because, you know, from what we've seen through the first, uh, this is now the twentieth game through the first nineteen games. Um, I mean, Coach Bjorken has been really willing to go with the hot hand, or not even just willing, like he openly will go with the guy who's hot, um, and, and and play those odds. Especially, I mean, we saw with Aaron in the Golden State game. Uh, so it was really odd to me that he did not get to close out the game tonight, especially like you're talking about with TJ. I mean, he was being, uh, it, it was, I love Chris and Quinn and they were completely right in how well the zone was being played. And, and, and Nate Bjorkman commended the Philly zone as well. The length was really tough. They were athletic at the top with Simmons and, and Matisse Thibel was one of the players of the game, at least for the fourth quarter. Um, but when you don't even have to worry about TJ McConnell as a shooter, I mean, it's just, it makes it a hell of a lot easier to play four on five with a zone. Uh, so I, I don't know. It, I, I agree. It was very perplexing. Well, and if they were just mostly going to be kind of spasmodically passing it around the perimeter in the way that they were, then you need somebody on the wing that's going to be able to make that shot. It's, mm-hmm. I mean, you don't have much of a chance there with TJ. And then at the other end of the floor, Thibault targeted him. Corkmaz targeted him. He didn't get out on a closeout to Corkmaz. Like, and then, I mean, most of the offense was just either for the Sixers down the stretch was Tobias Harris, get a switch over somebody that you're bigger than over on the left block and score or target TJ McConnell. Like that was pretty much what it was for the Sixers and just offensive rebounds, but which is a whole nother talking point from the game. But yeah, I don't think that, I think, yes, Philadelphia deserves credit. Their zone was good. They have so much length, but the Pacers offense against the zone was not good and it wasn't good against the Raptors either. So it's a two game streak of that. Yeah, exactly. One of the things I was kind of hopeful for um, was maybe getting Domas just into the, put him in the middle of the zone and try and get him to pass in and out. You know, obviously it's easier said than done. Um, they were driving in a lot, not getting a lot, kicking out. Um, I don't know. It was just, it was a little confusing, especially too. I mean, yesterday, I don't know if you watched uh, Portland play, but I mean, Thad Young destroyed his own yesterday, which uh, how often can we say that? He actually had, almost had a triple double. I was watching just because of that. But um, Tom, what were your thoughts on kind of the closing lineup and, and, and how the last quarter went? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I felt like they did get Belmont in there a couple times in the middle, but I mean, Simmons and, and Bible were just, are so freaking long. I mean, Bible had four steals and two blocks in the, four, in the last eight minutes, I think. Um, and I know coming out of the, when things started going downhill, they come out of the timeout, it looked like they got a great shot for a three for Thibault. Thibault got to it, blocked it. And then from that point on, I, I felt like. Um, Robin was just tentative and not attacking and, you know, too much dribbling. And it just um, – and then, you know, a couple minutes later, for some reason, like you said, McConnell, he, he all, all of a sudden summoned McConnell. And I was like, this is strange. What what triggered this? Because <laughs> um, I don't know, like you said, what he was going to bring in that, you know, I thought, you know, are they going to have him just – trying to attack and break the, down the zone and get in the middle of it. Um, but that didn't happen. And um, so, 
you know, once that offense kind of ground to a halt, then as, as Rob mentioned after the game, the, you know, the bigger issue was they couldn't get the stop. But, um, you know, and it was. It was, you know, Coach Boston and Tobias Harris. And, and uh, watching that thing melt away was just – it was it was just brutal. I mean, it's just – you know, it was poor execution. And, you know, I don't think good decisions on, on who they had out there. And you know that that momentum just built up and built up, and then when when things are you know fading like that, and you're trying to take those shots, like you say, you know the holiday shot doesn't go, then you come close, and Bryden misses those shots that he was throwing in with ease early in the game when everything is flowing, and um, yeah, I mean they were just completely disrupted, and uh, I mean that that loss has got to sting because that that was a that was a you know they had that W packed away even at the beginning of the fourth quarter and to see that flip away like that is, um, it's just going to hurt going, you know, it's one of those that's going to stick out, um, as the season runs on here. Cause you know, you kind of get the gift with the B being out and you got to take advantage of it. And they were, and they had it done. I mean, and then, and then they just faded away and, and the defensive end was, you know, I feel as bad as the offensive end. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as trying to go against that zone. Yeah, yeah, certainly. And it's interesting, too, because, you know, I, I put I, – I tweeted before the game, uh, you know, with Embiid out, obviously it's uh, it's difficult to, to figure out, you know, what you're going to get from this game. Because I originally was like, okay, I, I thought this was going to be the best litmus test of the season looking at uh, – I you know, I think this was probably the hardest matchup they've had other than the, the Clippers game, but that's different, too. Miles wasn't in. Um, you were going to get what this team is going to look like for most of the year without Karras or TJ um, against one of the better teams in the East, and obviously Embiid sat. I think we almost learned more today uh, from how that fourth quarter went, and not to form a narrative just based on on one game, but um, I, I think we're just finding a lot out about this team, and it also adds a punctuation mark to what Caitlin has really been preaching uh, for the last two weeks since the Western Conference road trip. They're just – Big wings are going to kill this team. I mean, Tobias Harris, I thought, won them the game today, especially in that fourth quarter. Um, just in terms of looking at pure defensive matchups, like, at, I mean, Justin is just not big enough to defend him. Uh, completely bodied him in the post. Um, I, what I want to talk about defensively, though, I had someone say today that they thought Miles was a total non-factor on defense. I, I, I would not agree with that. Um, but – I would like to get your opinions on on what you thought of Miles tonight. Obviously, fouls out, um, so that was not great. Well, I mean, I tweeted it, so I might as well repeat it. I think he kind of had an Embiid game, but Embiid wasn't in the game. In the sense that an Embiid game is he gets into foul trouble and kind of is just kind of there. I mean, I I think that he altered some shots defensively, certainly, but by Mm -hmm. his standard of what we've come to expect, there were moments where, yeah, he wasn't really uh I don't think quite to his own level I mean there were times where Ben Simmons went downhill and he went for the block and then Ben Simmons altered and hit a reverse layup um I think he hunted blocks in a couple different spots obviously like the offensive rebounding was an issue with Dwight Howard and that was for Sabonis too but um I I, yeah it just wasn't a very good game for him like I'm not going to sugarcoat it I don't don't think there was a lot of positives to take away there obviously I mean he's always going to have the best rim presence on the team that's not really going to be in much of a conversation but again comparing him to himself I don't think it was his best defensive game 
tonight <laughs> yeah sorry he, he had shoved you know turning around in some of those games earlier in his career and i think also uh you know verbally is continually agitating him and uh it that seemed to rise up again tonight and um so you know i we, we all know physically that that indeed matchup has been a nightmare um but i think that uh dwight howard was sneakily as the replacement tonight was uh, <laughs> just as big a problem, maybe mentally for, for Miles as well. So um, it, it, it was rough to see that after he's been he's been putting in so many. The thing that has been great about Miles has been he's been almost you know somewhat consistent of late um, with the numbers and the effort and the, and the all around impact and. To get in that that foul trouble tonight, and then you know really not have the impact that they needed from him, and not be you know the biggest impact recently and more consistently has been you know rebounding and not having that tonight um, was just another thing that you know the Pacers seemed to be able to survive it until that last eight minutes, and then. You know, you start adding up all the different things that, that led to the loss, and that's certainly one of them. Yeah. Uh, well, we can talk about the rebounding now. Uh, Dwight Howard had <laughs> seven offensive rebounds by himself, and it felt like just about every one of them resulted in free throws or an offensive putback. Uh, he ended up with 12 trips to the line, went five of 12, but at the same time, I think it's a problem. I don't, I mean, it, it I, I don't have it worked out mathematically, but regardless, putting a team in the bonus not great um puts you in kind of a bind later on in the quarter um we can obviously look at things and say you know okay well they have a lot of smaller smaller players out on the court but i think there's a lot more that feeds into the rebounding uh that is just not good on the defensive end like it, it feels like there's a lot of um i don't want to say just standing around watching but guys get out of position a little bit by playing I don't want to say it's just because of the aggressive brand of defense, but because this was an issue last year. Um, But you see a lot of times guys getting out of position and not picking somebody up or or losing their man uh, on the box out or just not boxing out at all. Um, What are your thoughts uh, right now, Caitlin, on on the rebounding? Because this has been an issue. It it was an issue to start the year, but it's been pretty prevalent over the last four or five games. Yeah, I mean, I would like to – I mean. Clearly tonight, I mean, the Sixers would not have been in this game if not for second chance points and points off turnovers like this would have been a blowout. So definitely equates to the loss tonight. I'd I'd have to break down the numbers and see how close like what their win loss is when they get give up, you know, X amount of offensive rebounds. But um, to your point. Yeah, this was definitely it was definitely an issue in a bubble. It was an issue last year. A lot of it was long rebounds tonight with Dwight Howard. Obviously, that's happening around the basket. So I think two main things with it. Um, There's one where Sabonis went out and contested uh, a shot from Tobias Harris and was out of the picture. And then Tobias Harris walked right into a rebound and then like hit a floater in the lane. And that goes back to 
something I tweeted during the Hornets game, which is with this type of defense, they want to use flyby closeouts. Like they're not using choppy feet. So when people get out of the picture with the closeout, it gets very hard for a player like Sabonis, Miles, whoever it is to get back then in front of that player. That's kind of a product of what that scheme is, which is a change from what last year was. So that, and then also, um, it goes back. Nobody's going to want to hear this, but I'm going to have to bring it up anyways. I still don't really understand the thought process behind playing Brogdon and Sabonis entire quarters at the time. Yep. Both of them played the entire first quarter and the entire third quarter. Sabonis had like what, 13 points or something in the third quarter. Like he mm-hmm. mostly was their offense in that quarter. So you can kind of tell, I mean, it's, it's like when you watch the Sixers at times, like, you know, if they've relied on Embiid through so many post-ups that he's probably going to wear down. And then you get into the fourth quarter and they're playing miles so solo for a bit and some of that lead you know started to dwindle and then they played Sabonis solo a bit and like I said Tobias Harris was just hunting those mismatches whenever only one big was out there and then by the time they were both out there I thought again it looked like they didn't really have legs to be getting into Dwight Howard and getting and getting in there and I just I don't understand why they persist in playing both of them entire quarters at a time like that wasn't what Sabonis was doing last year like at the beginning of a quarter in the first quarter last year, he would come out at about the six minute mark and return to play at the end and then play with the bench. And I think playing those shorter bursts gave him more energy to sustain, you know, the fighting spirit that he has on the glass. Whereas this year you can tell at the end of quarters where, you know, I've brought this one up before, like JaVel McGee and the Cavs getting like four offensive rebounds on the same possession when Sabonis is there like that. You just weren't seeing a lot of that last year. Yeah, I think that's a great point because I get really frustrated. A lot of people will look at that and say, oh, so-and-so is not trying hard. I think it's important. Like, as much as people struggle with the Bucs, um, they, they, I, I don't remember who said it. I don't – it might have been – I think it was Bud in a post-game interview. Uh, and it's Mike Budenholzer for people who aren't familiar with, uh, with you know, his, his moniker. Um, you know, he talked about Giannis only played like I think it was 31 minutes per game last year. Like hardly, it, it was right around there. Um, and he was asked on on why he plays so little, and part of it is you know his answer was just in talking with the training staff and and talking with Giannis too. He can only go 100 percent for 31 minutes. You cannot go like I mean we've, we we just see it. You cannot physically play that hard for an entire game. I, it's not about effort. It's just fatigue is a real thing. You cannot out macho or, or outwork fatigue that's just that's that's not realistic that's bs that movies come up with um and we're seeing that and i'm about to go on a long rant so just give me a second um something that i've really been thinking about the last couple of days and i was really spurred on in reading your piece this morning caitlin um and some of the talks that we've had some of the talks we've had as well tom and i was talking to a couple of other writers um around the league the last couple of days and doing previews uh for other shows and um just looking at the Pacers in general. And it, it feels like a lot of the problems they have just boil down to a very minute part of the game, but it's so expanded because of how they play. Um, like I, I've, I've mentioned it before, but it feels like they, they work, they, they focus so much on working harder instead of just looking at the five to 10% of the game where they could just be smarter about it. Like not closing out on non-shooters. Like that's been an issue this year already, you know, like, they're closing out on Stanley Johnson and Yuta Watanabe. And of course, you know, you want to contest shooters, but um, picking your, your spots on closing out on some of these guys, like that's been an issue, especially over the last week, that's been really prevalent. Um, and then that's, you know, leading to, to wide open drives because some of the, with how hard you're closing out, you're like, you mentioned Caitlin, you're not chopping feet. 
Um, so if, if there's a guy who's not a shooter, but he's a smart enough passer that he can, you know, he can pass out of a drive to the basket, opens up wide open stuff at the rim. Um, and like looking at talking about Domas going out and why is Domas charged with defending Tobias Harris? Um, it just, it seemed like you can have small spurs of that, but having him play on Tobias the whole game was a little bit vexing to me. Um, I thought there were opportunities to maybe change up the defensive coverage and, and not have him on that assignment. And, and just having him play out on the perimeter so much defensively already has been, I don't want to say weird because I think there have been points where it has worked and um, there's a method to some of the madness for sure. And I, of course, I'm not as smart as an AP Orkin. I understand that. Um, but at the same time, like having Domas play 38 minutes is one thing, but having him play 38 minutes while having this kind of defensive assignment is uh, confusing as well. Um, I don't know. It's, it's just, it's, it's starting to, to get a little bit confusing to me. This is Advertiser Content, brought to you by Frito-Lay. Hello, I'm Chip Murphy, here to get you ready for the big tournament. Tonight we'll break down... We break down who will be cutting... Cut! What are you two doing? Sorry, Chip. Prez here got his feathers ruffled when I told him Ruffles has zero chance of winning the title. And I was letting Dip know that she is not taking into account Ruffles' iconic ridges. Guys! It's March. We have to start talking about the tournament. We are. It is the 2023 Frito-Lay Snackin'. We're talking about big-time matchups between Cheetos, Smart Food, Lay's, Sun Chips, and more. Just head to the Frito-Lay Snack Bracket and vote for your favorite chip, pretzel, or dip for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. This sounds great. Keep up the good work. Just go to frito No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4-3-2023. Void wherever hidden. Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito Well, it goes back to, I mean, basically what you said is what I wrote in the article this morning. I mean, he's second in the league in movement on defense, and some of that's because of the amount of minutes he plays, but the Pacers also aren't a fast-paced team. So it's not like they're getting a bunch more defensive possessions for him to be running around. That's just the amount of time he spends out on the perimeter. Like in the one clip I showed, or linked to, it's not actually embedded, but it's linked, mm-hmm. where he's trailing and hedging against Draymond Green. Like, that's what their scheme is, and they deploy it, whether that person's a shooter or not. And he spends so much time running around up at the top that then then you kind of like, well, this goes back to clear back whenever I wrote the piece on Dave Yeager. If you're using that type of a closeout with the four of the center and you're using that type of coverage, he's not in the picture to rebound. Like mm-hmm. he then has to go all the way down into the paint and box out to get like it just there's just a lot of energy that's being expected of him. And you already know that he's going to be doing these things on offense. And I I don't really see why he can't be doing a little bit more conservative things with him. Or like I said, with the peel switches in that article, that's helping him where if you are, I mean, I don't really know how, who else he's going to guard. They want miles around the rim against, you know, Bradley tonight. So I don't know who else on the Sixers he was going to guard. I don't want him guarding Ben Simmons. So if he's going to have to guard Tobias Harris and he's going to be quicker, then use the peel switch and bring that guy off the corner and let Sabonis recover to the corner. That's a gamble I'd rather take. Or use the peel switch off the post if he gets beat instead of just making him chase that guy. Um, Those types of things are a little bit frustrating for me because if you're going to have to ask him to do more, then help him to do less while he's doing it. 
Like, I, I just don't think there's any reason why a center, and especially like Sabonis defense, he's fine, but it's definitely not his specialty to be ranking second in the league in movement on defense. That's just crazy to me. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. And I mean, that factors into like we've it's changed up a little bit. But again, you look tonight and really only eight guys play. Um, I thought especially as the Sixers, I don't want to say they went small, but they were playing some of their you know more depth wings in, in Thibel and Korkmaz who haven't been getting as consistent minutes lately. Um, it felt like a good opportunity for Edmund Sumner to maybe play some minutes. Uh, and even, I mean, Gogo was impactful in the five minutes he played. He obviously had that, that really nice block on Ben Simmons, but um, it's, I don't know, Tom, <laughs> I'm going to keep going on and on. If Tom, Tom, uh, this is definitely your opportunity to, to dish on it. <laughs> so are you guys out on uh, Turner and Sabonis now? Again? Oh, <laughs> no, let's no, go. no. It's, <laughs> nah, just okay, I thought you were serious. I know. Like, oh, I'm not that far. Well, no, I know. But, I mean, in some lineups, you know, I mean, that Sabonis is going to have to go to Tobias Harris. But I did. There was uh, a couple times tonight I thought, you know, Jakar Sampson here for like three or four minutes wouldn't be bad just because he's so active and a guy like that can disrupt a little bit. Um, you're right, maybe Edmund, Edmund Summer could create, you know, be able to shift the lineup around where they can create some of that mismatch. But, um, but, but yeah, I, I mean, when you're playing Aaron and you're playing from a defensive standpoint, when you're playing Aaron and you're playing McConnell, you play them together and then you play them a lot, starters, um, that it seems like that neglects the front court defensive matchups um, too often. And it's, honestly, it's like the reason Sabonis has a crutch sometimes. And, um, just like, oh, yeah, he, he'll do anything. Um, but, yeah, I, 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 I get what you're saying. It, it, um, it seems like they could be digging in and finding different um, matchup potentials or matchup possibilities um, with, with some of these guys and, and even if it's for five minutes, um, three minutes in the first half, three minutes in the second half, even um, just to try and alleviate on some bonus at both ends. Because I mean, it's not only that he's doing all that movement and being, you know, such a uh, active hub on the offensive end as well, but even on the offensive end, I mean, he's banging into guy. I mean. They're banging into him. He's banging into them. It, it's a two-way street, but there's a lot of um, compact and energy expended, um, when, especially on offense, when he, when he's um, working with the ball. Uh, and, and then, you know, he's not going down and taking a breather on the defensive end. And, you know, that, that makes it rough, when, when, like you say, when just trying to go after rebounds in, at the end of a quarter. So I hear you. Yeah, um, I guess, well, I, I don't know. I, the, the final question I kind of want to leave off with, and we, we could maybe even expand upon it too. Um, how does this change your outlook on the team for the year? Not to say that, again, I, I'm, I'm not interested in creating a narrative off one game, but I think this has kind of put better into place uh, where this team is at for me right now. I know I'm actually a little bit different. It doesn't shift it 
a lot for me because I still haven't seen the full team. Yeah. Like I still haven't seen TJ. I haven't seen Karis. Oh yeah. For sure. um, I just mean in terms of what the team is with, uh, without them currently, because that's, uh, I feel like that's going to be most of the regular season. Right. Well, I don't know. I thought, well, it, I mean, I, yeah, my bad. You're not Josh Corbeil. Um, I mean, just, yeah, based on what we're, uh, the impression is it's going to be at least two, two months. Yeah. I think that this is, I mean, maybe this is me being somewhat, I mean, I don't even want to say the word downer. I think this is just kind of what I've, I expected to an extent. I mean, they mm-hmm. did have a 16 point lead with eight minutes to go. Like if they just kind of keep their foot on the gas and don't completely go to tatters against the zone, they win this game. But as you say, I mean, this is the first game that the Sixers won without Embiid. So that's saying something all on its own, but um yeah, we haven't seen them against a lot of the opponents that I think would uh, will really test them yet up until mm-hmm. this point. I mean, the Clippers, obviously, I thought that was going to be a nightmare matchup, and it didn't exactly help that not only did they not have TJ and Karis slash Victor, but they also didn't have Miles and they didn't have Jeremy. So that all that wasn't really great for assessing them either. But what you say about basically playing an eight-man rotation also kind of makes it hard to assess the Pacers because so often it feels like they're treating games like playoff games yep. and their opponents are treating them like regular season games. So it's it's like last year, only different because last year I was like, you know, how much can a play hard team, you know, what extra gear do they have? And I don't see this Pacer team as a as a, you know, quote unquote, play hard team in terms of how they generate their offense. But when they are tightening the rotation and it's hard for them to, you know, squeak out a win against the team without, you know, I would say Embiid's probably like a top three MVP candidate today. Mm-hmm. It, it does sober your overall take a bit, but I am still hedging my bets a little bit until I can see uh, what it looks like when they're at full health. But um even more than this game, I would say that the the two games at the Raptors against the Raptors were almost a little bit more telling for me because you could tell in several spots after I wrote my twinning article that Nick Nurse said it was just another game. I don't think those two games were just another game yeah. for the Raptors. Um, they were calling out plays that the Pacers were running. They were altering their coverage because they knew what games the Pacers were running and they were using exaggerated defensive schemes. So I thought that that one was maybe a, actually a little bit more eye-opening for me than this one, but this one they just kind of let go of the rope. But I'll, I'm interested to hear Tom's thoughts. Yeah, I mean that's a good good point because I mean there was <laughs> excuse me there was a you know they were cruising to this win until a they couldn't deal with the zone and, and then couldn't score and b couldn't get stopped uh, both ends kind of flipped on him. Um, you're assuming those are going to be tough wins, and, and they have one right in the palm of their hand, and you just can't step on the neck and, and put it away. I mean, really, they just let it – let go of the rope is, is a good point, a good line. I mean, they just go ahead, let it go, watch that balloon fly away up into the ether. And, and that is, you know, that's, that's a big win if you get a win over Philly in the east. And – you know, they can't play around. You know, playoffs aren't guaranteed. You know, they aren't a full team as they're expected to be, hopefully at the end of the year when the playoffs arrive. But, they, you know, they got to get there and be in, you know, a decent position. And I think the team is showing can play well enough to win enough games to, you know, be 
right there in the middle of the east. Um, so it's felt all the energy to do that, like you said, with the eight meditation and and um, it, it it always feels like a double loss um, when they have to put so many minutes, you know, on Bob and and, and Sabonis, and then don't end up getting the win. Um, I know I, it almost felt like I didn't, I didn't know if they were going to put them back in, and then all of a sudden, you know, right when things started going bad, they were up and out about seven minutes ago. So, um, but you know, overall, you know, I'm I'm not expecting this team to not come back and be ready to go the the rest of the week, and um, but their margin for error is is just not not that large for as good as their record is, I guess. Um, even even their point differential is probably better than than you know the sum of the parts or however you might phrase that. The the front office and the coaching staff leading into this year talked so in depth about wanting to be different than last year um, and develop guys and uh, give the end of bench guys minutes and and just try and and throw different looks and again like we we talked about this on on our, on our last two questions to I you know. Um, how they have been doing things differently, but things have been uh, very similar to last year. Still, if you really just shed scheme and, and, and talking about how they're playing offense and defense. Um, I mean, like, like Tom was mentioning with the point differential, like, I mean, it, those numbers are juiced right now because of how much Brogdon and Sabonis are playing. I mean, if you take them, if you were to, to, to bring them down to playing 32 or 33 minutes a game, the number is going to be just lower. I mean, based on the fact that, Two of your your two best players are playing less. Um, I mean, you look at even the Sixers right now, like Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid are both playing less than 33 minutes a game. Um, so there's that extra five minutes that Malcolm and, and Domas are playing, and that makes a difference. Um, I, I don't know. What what are your thoughts just kind of on the fact that this team is playing like they were last year and, and they are still uh, treating it like a playoff game? Is that, like, concerning to you at all? Because to me, I don't, I don't want to, like, be – overboard and saying that is concerning but it's just a little odd to me right i mean oh yeah we've talked about it several times i mean the the distance alone for sabonis has has bothered me for a long time just because of what tom said earlier i mean they're asking him to do things on ball off ball defensively because he's in this help and fly role he's roaming all around and then you're also asking him to play high minutes while he's now being double teamed a lot. He plays a very physical brand of basketball. So it's a heavy load. And I think that it's somewhat flirting with disaster. And that's why I was a little bit hopeful after the knee contusion happened that I thought, you know, maybe this will scare them into playing him a little bit less. And it kind of seemed like that might happen because at least Goga has cracked the rotation, but Mm -hmm. it's kind of eaten into miles minutes a little bit more than Sabonis's, which I guess is somewhat predictable, but yeah, I mean, for the long view, it's tough to say. I mean, I'm because of the types of stuff I write, I tend to look at the schemes. And I think we've talked about this before that, like, you know, they're willing to try out a lot of different things on defense. And sometimes I have to temper my takes on that because I'm like, well, they are testing it. And maybe that is something that they would need in a playoff series. Though I would say, I don't think there's ever going to be any playoff series where I need Sabonis to be guarding. Like he's Bam Adebayo on LaMelo ball. (laughs) I still don't understand that. Like I wrote in the article, I think there was a lot of other options they could go to, but if they want to see how different things can work, then 
that to me is playing the long game because, hey, you know, you didn't end up winning that game in Charlotte, but you tried a little, a lot of different stuff on defense, like, because you may need to pull that out of your pocket later. Um, I am pleased that Goga is at least getting some minutes. He didn't play in the second half, but he's been getting more action and he's shown a little bit of growth here and there. It's up and down, but I think you can probably expect that after coming off of the ankle injury. But um, defensively, I just have a lot of questions about all of it that everybody knows I've asked a lot of these plenty of times, but I think that it's, I guess I would compare it a little bit to, you know, Milwaukee's offense is like what number one, number two in the league right now, but Giannis has kind of taken a bit of a step back, but I think that's good overall for Milwaukee because their role players, you're going to need them later and somewhat defensively, like obviously miles is, totally legitimately a defensive player of the year candidate. He's defending his butt off in the paint. He's contesting tons of shots. Obviously the blocks awesome, but some of that, the amount of attempts that he's having to contest, like the Pacers are giving up the highest rim frequency in the league in part because of how aggressive they're being on the perimeter and not so much even with containment. Like it's not like they're playing rim deterrence with how they're pressuring the ball. Like people are blowing by them and then they're constantly having to play in rotation, which is leading to this help and fly role with Sabonis. So is it's like, even though miles is shining in this type of defense and that's great. And I'm glad that he's getting the attention that he deserves. Is it good for the overall defense as a whole? I'm, I'm not sure of that. And I don't think we'll know until the playoffs happen, but a lot of times, like you said, it feels like, Sometimes, and they said that they might want to change things, even if they have a lead, but sometimes it feels like they're confusing themselves with how much they go back and forth between things. And then sometimes I don't think the coverage is just like, I mean, at at the end of the half, I don't even, I didn't even bring this up. I still don't understand why they were doubling Ben Simmons at halftime. Like that layup, when that happened, I'm like, that could come back and bite them later. I don't understand why you weren't playing back at three quarters or half court and letting him bring up the ball and trying to induce a shot instead of, like having the most pitiful double team ever with Justin and Jeremy. And then he's just gliding down the lane. And I do think he got away with a little bit of a push off on his way to the basket, but you gave up a needless two just so you could say that you pressured the inbounds pass. Like, I don't know. Those types of little things frustrate me a little bit, but I'm trying to keep the long view in mind because I know that that's what the Pacers said that they wanted to do. Like, we're going to try out these different things because we want to be ready. And that was a shortcoming from, the prior administration, shall we say that, you know, they got into a playoff series against Boston and in game two, they came out and wanted to switch everything and they weren't a switching team. They hadn't switched all year and they needed to be able to do that and they weren't prepared to do it. So I understand that, but I think some of it's questionable sometimes to end my long winded soliloquy. Well, it was a very, very eloquent soliloquy. Um, (laughs) I think I'm back. (laughs) <laughs> yes, we were, we were, I was I was curious to see if we could talk long enough to get you back before we close out. Um, Tom, uh, just to, to reposit the question for you, I mean, you hit on some good points as well, but in terms of, like, does this, uh, you know, I mean, just because the team is, well, it is playing differently, of course, schematically. Um, it's just not that different last from, from last year in terms of um, how they're playing with minutes, like you mentioned with point differential, like, those numbers are juiced by how much they're playing Domas and Malcolm. So how have you kind of felt about uh, that moving forward and, and, and where you're at with that? Because it hasn't been, it is, I mean, there, I got to stop saying it hasn't been, there have been differences, but some of the differences, some of the things that aren't different have been pretty glaring. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the differences are, 
they're definitely in, you know, the style of play. I mean, all the different things they do. I mean, you know, you can rely on certain plays out of timeouts that are fun to watch and, and things like that. Uh, but you're right. I mean, they're really leaning on, on you know, as we've mentioned many times, Robin and Sabonis. And I know, you know, I, I, I wonder um, what uh, impact those guys have on how much they're playing as well. Um, it's not, you know, out of the realm of possibility, like per se, Robin, you know, he wants those numbers. He wants to be that impact guy. He wants to be an all-star, all those things. And, and he's w- willing to play um, when he's healthy and, and, you know, feeling well. Um, but I just don't see how that at the second, you know, going into the playoffs or it, and, and again, one, one thing I was hitting on, I don't know if I cut out or not, but the, the, the margin of error that this team has right now being, you know, two critical players, um, you know, the Levert slash Oladipo and, and Warren not being available, that the, the, the margin for error is, is, is tight. And, um, and, you know, you, you can't lean on a lot of guys to rise up and, and save the day um, like you might otherwise. And so, I, I'm, you know, they, they got to get these wins, but at some point, once they get into that, that playoff mode or playoff range at, at, at some level at the end of the year, they're going to have to ease it back. So they're ready to go when the playoffs start. Otherwise, it's going to be the same boat as it has been, um, where they're a lower seed, possibly, or and or they're just not ready to go because uh, they're worn out. But, um, but I, you know, I feel like the difference is that I, I feel with this team, um, it definitely, I can hear McMillan saying a million times. We like, just didn't execute, I, yeah. I, well, no, like, I, I'm I'm the one worried about winning this game. And, I mean, the way Gorkin's coaching these games, you know, with the eight-man rotation, that's exactly how it seems, you know. Um, but the way that they um, – they go about it, it there's a lot more high risk high reward type stuff and and um which can be fun to watch unless you go the other way like it did tonight um and then it's like what are we doing um and so um i guess i i've just been you know i i've been i enjoy noticing the differences in the way they play especially when it, when it's going well like when they're making x amount of threes and, and um, the game's coming a little easier. It's really fun to watch, but, um, you know, it, it's not a foolproof just, you know, trying to get layups and threes all the time is not a foolproof um, system either. And, and we see that, um, uh, especially when you have matchup difficulties at times. And right now, I mean, it, it, they can get those clunky matchups and um, it's a challenge and, and at the end, it seems like it's always like, all right, well, let's see if Domas and Bradman can bail us out here, um, and and that load is on them. And so um, it, it's a matter of can we get to the finish line with those guys without being completely worn down? Yeah, um, 
Yeah, no, that's a good point. I mean, I, I think the the last thing I, I would say even is uh, if, like you mentioned, if if Malcolm and Domas are having an impact on how many minutes they're playing, which I, I'm, I'm not sure if that's the case. Regardless, I mean, I know Coach Bjorken has talked about how that he's comfortable with where their minutes are at, and they are in communication about that, and they've um, their their practice minutes are are, are shortened as well. Right, I, regardless, I mean, we can see in the fourth quarter that they are not the same players. You know, like it's. Can I say one thing about that? Yeah. Can I just hop in on one spot? Of the course. practice thing bugs me a little bit. Oh, because, I agree. Because, and here's why: like, I just read an article from. Uh, out of Atlanta and Lloyd Pierce directly says, I think we've only practiced full out for maybe uh, four. He said four times they've had four full on practices all year. Like the majority of the teams are not having full on practices. Like I've heard doc rivers, give these quotes. I've heard Steve Nash, give these quotes that like, so that just falls a little bit flat with me that they can make up playing, especially on a back to back. Like they've played eight man rotations on the second night of a back to back and played their guys big minutes. Like you weren't having a light practice the day before to recover from that. Like, so I, I don't know that that just feels a little like an, a little bit iffy for me, but um, yeah, he said that Brogdon and Sabonis are okay with it, which, you know, I'm glad that they're in communication, but I guess I would like to ask Giannis, would you have liked to play more than 31 minutes last year? Yeah. Like I'm pretty sure I've heard Embiid give lots of quotes about how he didn't want to sit out games. Like he wants to play, but the Sixers were like, it's not good for you to be playing. So I guess I don't, I mean, not to be harsh, but I guess I don't really care if Brogdon and Sabonis want to play those minutes. Like, cause like you said, even if you don't buy into the science of the load management, the long-term effect of this, you can literally see it in the fourth quarter and at the end of the first quarter, almost most of these games. So, well, yeah, that's the short. There's an in game like... an effect. There's an in game <laughs> yeah. effect to this. Yeah, exactly. Like that's, that's the whole thing with me. It's just, it's so perplexing because you can make all the comments you want but dude we're, we're seeing it i mean like I, i'm just looking right now this isn't even cl- including tonight and their net rating is going to drop drastically um after a 35 14 to 15 quarter um i mean they're a negative 5.2 net rating in the fourth quarter which is i believe sixth or seventh worst in the nba which is actually up from the last week um and they're 6.4 net rating in the third so that's a, a a massive net rating swing with a large enough sample size to know hey that's legit uh so i mean we've just gone from the third quarters to crappy fourths whatever we want to call them and a lot of that is malcolm and domas just wearing down at the end of the game um and, and like we've talked about i mean that's where there's a I'm going to butcher it again. It's the uh, least regression, something regression. Then we'll, I, I can't, I'm, I wasn't good in that math class. I, I passed it, but not by a lot. Um, but there's a point where playing Edmund Sumner for four or five minutes makes more sense than playing Malcolm the extra four or five. But nevertheless, I think that is a good point to leave off. Um, unless you guys have anything else you want to add. I will add one thing about mm-hmm. um, on the miles front. Um, some of the Embiid conversation was a little bit frustrating going into it. I know he had that yeah. quote that like, basically I, I, I don't have it in front of me to know, but like, if I am who I think I yeah. am, then, then I'm going to yeah. be able to handle it. And I like that confidence, but it kind of reminded me of the quote he had going over in team USA when he said something about like Rudy Gobert was the defensive player, according to some, and then kind of didn't play all that well in that game against France. And it's kind of yeah. like, I don't know why it was kind of being billed as like miles versus Embiid. Cause to me, we've seen a big enough sample size that like 
it doesn't take anything away from Miles if we admit that one of his weaknesses is defending that particular player. I mean, Rudy Gobert got wrecked by Nikola Jokic today. It doesn't mean that Rudy Gobert isn't a two-time defensive player of the year. It just means that's not a great matchup. And oh, by the way, like maybe be proactive and don't just expect Miles to guard him single coverage. Yep. Like, and and we didn't get to see it. So I would have been interested to know, obviously the Pacers double the post more than anybody. And they also rank 30th in that category. They're not good defending those kickouts and they're not good defending the post itself. They're like 26th at that. So I wasn't expecting it to go super well, but I don't know what it would have looked like. But my long point being that I do look forward to a more interesting matchup to me, which is the next game against Memphis, John Morant, Miles Turner. That's Miles Turner's strength. John Morant's number five right now in points in the paint. I watched that game last night against San Antonio. He's averaging 14 points per game in the paint. That's more than Sabonis. He's just so crafty. So I'm looking forward to seeing how he – you know, bobs and weaves around Miles, and if Miles can keep that number down for him because he's just so creative. So, I would like to replace Miles versus Embiid with Miles versus John Morant. That's that's my pitch to the world. That is. Now that's a good positive way to end it. Nice. Yes, that is the perfect pitch, and uh, <laughs> I will have a preview tomorrow that I recorded today uh, with Keith Parrish from Fast Break Breakfast and Grits and Grinds uh, going over the Grizzlies game for Tuesday. So be on the lookout for that. Tom and Caitlin, thank you for joining and uh, joining me on the somber evening uh, for an episode of Pacers <laughs> After Dark. Hopefully we uh, we have some different things to talk about next time we, uh, we conglomerate. Uh, to everyone listening, of course, follow Caitlin, follow Tom, follow everything they do. Um, follow me too. That would be cool. And most importantly, go rate and review the podcast. I always want to hear from you. Um, just shoot us any que- questions, comments, feedback, anything you got, let us know. And uh, have a good rest of your day. Thank you for listening.